since we're going there and being emotional, you know. Uh, <laughs> being emotional and shit. Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr., and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. What's going on, family? Another great episode is upon you all. Today, per the pattern that we've been going on, we're going to debrief the episode that um, Kyle, the visionary, the artist, um, did for our last one. And we're just going to dive deeper and take a deeper look into that episode and see if we can push our conversations even further. So, um, Emily, what is going on? Well, I was trying to, I'm still trying to get settled. Like we've just spent the last hour, like my, the internet and my house cut out and I'm like, okay, I got to get to the co-working space and I go outside and I, there's ice covering my car. So then I have to like use the, you know, what is it called? What is the thing called that you the, scraper, the scraper. The scraper and then the scraper breaks. And then I'm like sipping my breakfast smoothie on the way over. And I'm like, I know this is falling on my clothes. Like it has to be. Like that's just <laughs> <laughs> that's just the morning it is. But well, that's how important these episodes are. You know, these conversations. We do whatever it takes to bring you this magic, and so um, that's dope. We do what we got to do. We do what we got to do, and yeah, I mean, doing this podcast has made my life so much better. Can I tell you that? Like it is like being able to form a relationship with you and form a relationship with so many amazing people in our community. And I'm just so grateful for it. Likewise, it likewise. For, for me, since, we, since we're going there and being emotional, you know. Uh, <laughs> being emotional and shit. <laughs> exactly. Let me, uh, it's, it's pushing knowledge, you know. And, and for me, entrepreneur who, who now lives to social, make social impact without the knowledge and knowing of what's actually going on, it's impossible to be really good. And so reading has now become like air for me. And so just reading these books, and I think this podcast created that type of fire in my, in my belly, because you got to know, like we, we don't know what questions will be asked, where the conversation goes. And the only preparation is like intense reading. Like, we don't know where to go. We could talk about, we could be emotional and crying right now, or I got to talk about the Revolutionary War. I got to know about the details, reading cast and all this stuff. So it can go either way, you know? And so I appreciate you for making me a better version of myself pre the humanized. Oh, Courtney. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Work a bars. I love it. I love it. One thing I love watching when we're recording and the people who have been listening, you know, for the last year and a half will definitely be like, oh yeah, I see that. So when we have a guest on, like we don't, we really don't know most of the people that we're talking to. And so our job 
which I love, and we both do it in our own ways. Our job is to make people comfortable so that they can like just feel like they can open up, talk about their lives and talk about, we got to Oprah them, which requires a lot of shifting on the fly because everyone has different styles. Like I went into that Dr. Rebecca episode thinking it was going to be like hyper academic and it was like somewhere like intellectual stand-up comedy. You know, like it was like so fun and engaging and like, and then Kyle, aka Guante, who we talked to last week, is this poet with like such heart and so thoughtful. Yeah, it was interesting to just like, you know, shift gears and meet him there. And I love that. I love being able to adapt and shift gears and watching us both do it. Yo, we are our own form of MCs. Like we're <laughs> we're bigger than podcasts. I think it was like every day is a new cipher, you know? And so like we gotta feel it and we just freestyling. We we're freestyling. We're freestyling. And we we haven't missed yet. So so why start now? Why start Let's now? get into Let's it. Let's get into it. Okay, so so last week we talked to Kyle Tranmeyer, also known as Guante. And uh, he's transitioning out of that name Guante. That's why we're not just calling him that. But that is kind of how he's better known. It's how I first heard him referenced in a, a talk, an anti-racism talk that I heard and then stalked him down on social media. Um, so he is a a poet, an educator, and an activist. And his work dynamically explores the relationship between identity, power, and resistance. And he was a member of two national poetry slam championships. He's also had his master's focus on spoken word. And just a fascinating guy. Please go and Google him on, on YouTube. He has lots of, you know, he's a great TED Talk and lots of, of poetry that's up there. But when we were talking, we were kind of looking at his latest book, which is not a lot of reasons to sing, but enough. So there's a lot of places that kind of stood out to me as a place to start. And I will say that, so a lot of his work not all of it, but he is kind of well-known for his work that focuses on white supremacy and toxic masculinity. So obviously a very reflective guy to be able to, to talk about those things. One thing that, that really stood out for me, and we'll give this quote in a second, but basically was this conversation we had about the violence of normality. Stepping away from the conversation about, about racism and white supremacy, when I do masculinity work, a lot of that work with young men isn't telling them how to be. It's trying to just point out how the world is already telling them how to be. When we talk about masculinity, a lot of young men are ready to have this conversation. They just don't have a chance to have it. And I think with whiteness, it's maybe a little bit different um, in that the story that is told about whiteness is not at the place culturally that the story that is told about masculinity is like just to see the the over the last 10 15 years how much that story has shifted is really incredible and i think you know generally a, a good thing that like young men today more or less often i mean every community is different and every identities we hold impacts this but i think in a big general sense have more of a sense that like it's okay to be yourself you know you don't have to look like a big action hero, super muscle, big dude to like be a man. And again, I don't want to generalize, but in a general sense, I think that story is changing. Whereas the story about whiteness is still very like often invisibilized. Like people just don't want to think about white or white people don't want to think about whiteness, don't want to talk about it. It's seen as just a default or normal. 
in a way that I think masculinity, that story has shifted. And so part of the work is how do we then share and promote and encourage and cultivate counter narratives to the idea of whiteness being quote unquote normal or default or, but like to, to just shine a light on it and say like, this is a thing and we should talk about it. And we should think critically about it. And that, you know, that work is is hard, but I think poets and, and like screenwriters for like TV and movies and other types of writers, novels, plays, I think there's a, a, a lot of force pushing in a, a healthier direction. And that intertwines then with people who are doing the facilitation work and like the, you know, the critical race theory work, honestly. But it's, there's a long way to go, too. As I listened to this again and, like, just sat with the violence of normality, first of all, I had to Google after the episode. I was like, is normality a word or is it normalcy? Ality is, like, how you know you're in the realm of critical race theory because they love adding ality, intersectionality, yeah. positionality, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, normality. Um Talking about what society tells you to be, and I thought it was so interesting how he pointed out that the people he talked to are really like the boys, are primed and ready, and kind of like eager to have a conversation about masculinity, but that society's not really at the same point when it comes to white supremacy. So this sparked like a million thoughts for me, and I'm just wondering... Courtney, do you see a world where people are eager and ready to talk about white supremacy in the same way that men and, and boys are a little bit more open to talking about toxic and healthy masculinity right now? I mean, that's a kind of a difficult question because what is your definition of masculinity? In the community I was raised, and the culture that I come from, masculinity looks different than what I believe is true now. You know, so like with the shift in my mind, with the shift in my my manhood, I think that masculinity may be defined as weakness. Because you know, when we talk about the violence of normality, masculinity and violence are intertwined where we where I come from. But now love, hope, smiling, laughter, tenacity, that's masculine to me. What I feel like you're you're teasing out is these new ideas of healthy versus toxic masculinity in that toxic, I would think of toxic as something that doesn't serve everyone, that is like a, a fixed thing. Some people identify and feel really good in that box. And for other people, it's very oppressive, very oppressive not to be able to talk about emotions or to be seen as vulnerable or to be seen as being a complex being, a three-dimensional complex being. So we're starting to, to challenge, you know, in what ways is masculinity toxic and how do we create a frame that's more supportive of everyone's experience? So I guess the question is, like, do you see our society moving towards a place where the conversation can be? In what ways is white supremacy toxic? And is there a healthy white supremacy or... <laughs> <laughs> is no, it just leaving no. the paradigm of human supremacy? You cannot rebuild a house, a brand new house on a fucked up um, foundation. We're fundamentally living, our foundation is white supremacy in the U.S. That's just the reality. 
And so to have true health and true well-being, we have to dismantle it from its core. And so with respects to toxic masculinity, see, that was a conditioned tendency, especially for people of color, to live. Like, we control nothing. We have nothing. Poverty creates a certain monster. You have to live in certain ways. So if you're asking, are we ready to transition, to take out of toxic masculinity, we have to redefine what masculinity is. Because we're we're conditioned to view and see masculinity in a certain way as a means for survival. See, now we're going into into thriving, and those are two different conversations. And so, if we if we are trying to thrive, you can't have toxic anything if you're trying to thrive. I mean, if you got like lead in the water, that's toxic. But you learn how to survive with with lead. I mean, children grow up, mental disorders at all time high. And all these have can be tracked back to like living like conditions, um, pollution and toxic food and toxic water and just toxic realities. And so in order for us to get out of toxic masculinity, we cannot live a toxic lifestyle. And so it's a it's very deep question when you ask how can we stop having that but continue to feed our communities, communities of color, toxic things all around, you know? So if you were trying to survive in a toxic environment, you couldn't be healthy. You couldn't be whole. You could. You had to adapt to that, to that environment to live in that environment, if that's making sense. And so if everywhere you're looking, all you see is, is toxic shit, how can you be happy? You will die. Right. Yeah. Right. It is what it is. And then that's the, the violence of normality because somehow we ended up in this space where toxic masculinity and white supremacy is normal. We've centered a poison and we're all drinking it. And like the compulsion to stay in that toxicity just because it's normal is fascinating from like a human perspective and, um, I was kind of talking about it the other time was just like in my work, the way that I face it and the way that I see it and the fears that I have about pushing people to look directly at white supremacy culture. And when do I say that what I'm talking about is white supremacy culture? When do I say that it's like oppressive culture? You know, like I feel like I have to nuance that a little bit. I mean, I think it's all the same. Like, white supremacy culture is oppressive culture. Yeah, I think it's the same. Yeah, it's a It's synonym. just naming it more explicitly that it's like the white, the whiteness is making it oppressive. Yeah. And and the thing that's, that is jarring for white people is that we're saying white supremacy. And so now you're taking it as offensive as if I'm talking about your mama. You know, it's like, I'm not a racist. I am not upholding white supremacy. Uh... Okay, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. The culture of white supremacy makes it very difficult to admit that you're living in it. That's the brilliance of white supremacy. It gives you a different type. If you are benefiting from it, it gives you a culture like, damn, I am not racist. I do this thing. I am here. I am working for this. Without looking at it from a standpoint of, if it does exist, what am I doing to dismantle that? Because that's a different question than just coming out saying, oh, it doesn't exist. 
that's a different lens to look at something. It's like if you have a disease and you say, there's no way this person can have that disease versus what if this person has a disease, what would it look like? Because when you enter, you have a possibility of something that is, is killing someone else. Now it's like, okay, if it is, what would it look like? Okay, police brutality, mass incarceration, lack of access to healthcare. Like you start to list those things that, oh shit, it does exist. And I'm talking about as if I was a white guy. You know, like as a white guy, Courtney, what would it look like if white supremacy does exist? Oh shit, these people can't live where they want to live redlining, fucked up education. Now you start to see, oh, it, okay, it does exist. And this is called doing the work. Courtney, I'm going to ask you a question that you're welcome to have our editors edit out. <laughs> and I wouldn't ask you this if, <laughs> I wouldn't ask you these couple of questions if we didn't have an established relationship that this is like legitimately all we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. What do you what do you imagine it's like to be white? Because <laughs> you were just doing that, and I just became yeah. curious about it. Um, comfortable, um, a fog of happiness. Can you say more about that? A fog of happiness, like living in a world where everything has a veneer of like happiness and smiling, and being like you know when you're driving and you're in a fog, you don't see really ahead of you so you just you're just driving and if you're happy you're just driving knowing that you're not gonna crash so you you're in a fog but you're happy because like i can't die shit can't happen to me i'm white i'm cool you know look where i live look at my family look at my my kids like they will go to college they will not be gunned down by police they will get a great education if we get sick my family is okay. We got access to healthcare. Like, that's a fog of happiness. Like, I don't, life is good. And yeah, maybe I've had to work for everything I have, no matter what industry I'm in. However, getting and becoming successful is a lot easier than those people. You know, whether I know it or not, I live in a world where I can experience the American dream guaranteed. It's almost guaranteed that if you're white, if you push yourself, if you have the right, like if you, your skin opens the door for you, Get, always opens the door for you. You could go from homelessness to multi-billionaire status because of the color of your skin, guaranteed. And so like being white is, is a blessing. And so if, you, if, if you're asking me now, being white that's trying to do work towards equality, equity, and liberation... That's a different question. That may get uncomfortable. I may lose some shit then when I start talking like, hey, I'm a white man that understands that because of the color of my skin, this was given to me. Now I need to reach back to my BIPOC community and open up doors that they won't be able to get without me. That's a different kind of white man. And they exist. 100% they exist. It's just that they are a minority when they have to become a majority for us to achieve true liberation. That's the reality. Like, if every black person, brown person, 
American Indian got up and like, yo, we, we got to do this. We, we still all have to walk together towards liberation. That's, that's it. For me, I envision being a white man as, as a responsibility, like I envision being a doctor as a responsibility, you know, as an obligation. I feel like being on humanized is a responsibility. See, I looked at humanize in the beginning as a, a cute project, but as you grow, you like now is becoming an obligation. This is not a hobby anymore. This has become something that has to be done in my mind, you know? And so like, if I had white skin, work has to be done that's gonna elevate and bring equity to all and not just me and my immediate family. It's interesting as I, I listen to you, especially the first part of what you were listing off there, there's a part of me that's like, like it's so interesting to hear that because I don't experience like what I hear you listing off those privileges. I don't experience, I don't feel like I experience those privileges on a daily basis. But it's like if you imagine, you know, back in the day in person, I might do like the privilege walk where you have everyone line up on a line and you take a step forward with this privilege and take a step back if you're, you know, your parents were immigrants, take a step forward if you had more than 50 books in your house growing up. And eventually the group divides out into the people at the front of the line facing the facilitator, the most privileged, usually white men over six feet tall. And then the people at the back of the line are the least privileged. And what is most, what is always so interesting about that activity is that the people in the front of the line, you know, when we wrap up the activity, we ask them to look around. People in the front of the line were like, whoa, I had no idea how far back people were. And I thought everyone was like basically right with me. And that access to, to power creates this blindness because you're focused on your experience. And because we're humans, we bring in suffering, right? The Buddha said like, life is suffering. So those people in the front have their own suffering. They bring in their own, you know, like, I need to be better. I'm not good enough. I suffer from toxic masculinity. So they have their own struggles, right? But they, they and we, you know, in the front of those lines, we literally can't see the, the, the ways that we are being giving a knee up in the whole situation from day to day. And I found, you know, where this podcast is, has helped my life is it, it's created a weekly focus on this so that I can see better. I had to actively focus on it because that's like the violence of normality is like trying to bring you back to being blind because that perpetuates what's going on now. And just kind of disappointed by the amount of effort that it takes for me as a white woman to start to see things. Like it takes a lot of effort, you know? And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I've, I've benefited greatly from the exposure that I've gotten and understanding people's lives. And it's changing me on a cellular level to be a better person. And we're all busy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. But see, to me, that's called doing the work. You are actively doing the work. You, you're you not coming out here saying you're an expert. I'm not coming out here saying I'm an expert. We're doing the work. I learned so much from you, you know, and, and of how to view life, you know, and seeing real time. See, this to me is a form of activism. Our podcast is bigger than a podcast. It's like we're 
actively working. This is activism personified. Like we're pushing, like pushing thought. And so don't feel as though like, damn, I cannot believe I never saw it. How could you have seen it? Right. It was it was purposely hidden from me. It's doing what it's supposed to do. The system is perfectly doing what it's supposed to do. Now, the problem is people are waking up, and that's why we're having the issues that we're having today. So it's not a bad thing. It's actually a great thing. And once we, we being people who say they're really focused on equity and equality, understand that it's not time to feel sorry for what you don't know. It's time to know. Like, you should be happy that you figured out that you don't know shit. Like, that's, that's the, if you thought you knew everything, that's a very dangerous person. Right. It kind of reminds me of how, like, meditation teachers I've had have said, you know, sit in meditation, try to let your, your thoughts kind of pass like a cloud in front of you. Don't, don't hold on to them. Just let them pass. And when you find yourself thinking or, like, involved in your thoughts again, just, you know, return to letting them pass. And it's like, that's the instinct. The instinct is going to be to collapse and hold on. And, and you have to celebrate the moment that you've realized you're hyper-focused on, like, you have to celebrate that moment rather than beating yourself. Oh, I'm thinking again. Like, oh, right. And so, because I do have a lot of friends reach out and they're like, listen to the podcast. I'm not doing enough. I can't believe I didn't know this. And it's like, okay, you're now centering your experience. <laughs> You you need to like take that, let that be a cloud that's passing in the sky, and do more. <laughs> yes, that's, Congratulations, that's it. you get to do more now. I knew nothing about the human body. I couldn't even read well when I f- first got into medical school, you know. And so, like, all I knew was where I come from. And so, it's like I couldn't sit there like, oh my god, I don't know a lot, and and because I would never known anything then. I'm like, you know what? I don't know shit. But guess what's about to happen? I'm about to know everything. Let's go. I never forgot that. I was like, you know what? Nah, let's go. I'll figure it out. I got to. And I mean, at first, my motivation was fucked up. Like, oh, these white people ain't going to outdo me. I'm doing it for the culture. You know, like, I got got shit I got to do. And so instead of sitting in my car and crying about what I don't know, all right, cool. Dome light on. Flashlight on. Let's go to work. It has to be that way because if it's not, we're like, no one cares. Like, when you self-soothe with your tears about what you don't know, you're wasting time on the shit that you could start to understand. And no one gets help by that shit. No one. You're just self-soothing like, oh, my God, I don't know about equity, equality. All right, cool. Let's, let's pick up a book then. Let me, let, let's, let's go read 1619. Let's talk about caste. Let, let's figure it out. I didn't know about that. There's a lot of shit in caste I didn't know as a black man. That leads me to my next question that you may not want to answer. (laughs) You clearly have a different perspective on what we're just talking about, like privileges, what's hidden to different people and what other people can see. Do you find that... I can't even ask this question. (laughs) Okay, try again. Uh, <laughs> Again, based on our relationship, I feel like I can ask this question because you can also say, yeah. I'm not going to talk about this. Do you find that there are ways that you've internalized white supremacy culture? 100%. White supremacy culture has benefited me. 
so talk about that. Like how, how do you see that from your perspective? Experience. I'm a doctor. Game hard stop right there. Like, let me show you. If if I was the doctor that I was supposed to be, I would have been in the hospital. I would have been seeing patients. I would have I've, I've lived in a fog of happiness that, hey, I made it because I worked hard. You know, like white supremacy is not a white thing. It's called white supremacy because it was created by white men to keep white men in power and, and created systems that are going to make sure that white people are benefited, mainly, not only. So if me being a black doctor is going to benefit a white system, huh, kudos. Like, white supremacy is winning. If me being a black doctor is going to benefit white healthcare, kudos. Like, now you got someone who could have been like an activist or really affecting change on a policy level, focusing on working 18 hours a day, senior patients, and, and being given $200,000 a year, basically shut the fuck up, do this, see patients, go home, take care of your family, be old, and, and die. Because whether people want to admit it or not, medical doctor is just a very a highly paid hard fought like worker like we clock in we got to go to work we go home society may give us a lot of kudos and this and that because it is it's hard work it takes a lot to become that but at the end of the day we're still in a system that's not going to change because we are benefiting and we sometimes we don't want to change because we're benefiting from that who wants to be crazy enough to put that much work in to become a doctor just to stop to do social activism. Just you. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm sure there's other people. Like, I don't, but at the end of the day, I I benefited from it on an education standpoint. Black people have been, like, NBA, NFL. Most of them motherfuckers in the NFL are, are black. Are they benefiting from white supremacy? Um, Go to every bank and pull up LeBron James' last paycheck and see what, what we're talking about. Like, I don't know. He's like, you play from a black system. And again, I'm not saying this as like, they are bad people. I'm speaking my truth. How are you defining white supremacy in the way that you're, you're talking about it? I'm defining white supremacy as, like we said, it tries to create a fog of happiness. Once you are in a system that is benefiting you and not benefiting all, we start to get into the world of white supremacy. Because white supremacy is benefiting people that are white. It's not benefiting all people. However, a lot of people that are non-white are benefiting from it because the fact, like, it's going to, at the end, benefit white people. Only the people that are uprooting and dismantling and working towards dismantling the system are going through hell. They didn't hang Nat Turner because he was in the kitchen cooking in the plantation for white people. They hung him because he was actively causing revolts to upend slavery. Better to stay with what was normal at that time, <laughs> back to normality. That's it. And like, yeah. yeah. It's violent on your soul, 
But then when you break from the normal, then you deal with a different sort of violence. Type of violence, exactly. Because you're going against the status quo. Anyone that died, you took, you, you take Malcolm X. <laughs> That's a prime example. Now, when he was when he was a good Muslim, he was aligning, he was talking about Muslim issues and, and being activist in his own way. However, he was in a box. Don't go too far out of this box, Malcolm, and you cool. But then we started incorporating white people into the movement and started talking against the government and started talking about certain things. It was like, okay, my man, you got to die. You, you fucking, you, you trying to upend white supremacy? Oh, yeah. Because, see, the thing about white supremacy, it loves to have two people fighting against each other. Like, you got white people fighting against black people. Oh, white supremacy loves that because now it's like, see, look at them black people over there causing all their trauma. Look at that. Like, just, if, they, if they just stayed in their place, everything would be peaceful. If, if slaves just understood that we did y'all a favor by bringing y'all to America, giving y'all jobs. Out of the uncivilized, dark continent. <laughs> There we go. You live it over there in shacks and ain't wearing no clothes and, and walking barefoot. Come on, man. We gave y'all houses to live in. Just appreciate us. Now you, you, you don't need to learn how to read. What the fuck you need to learn how to read for? So now, oh, you going to read? Oh, hell nah. Because education breeds imagination and imagination starts to look past what is right there in your face. See, that's the, that's the issue with poverty, which was created by white supremacy. Poverty puts you in this thing that all you see is what you see. Now, when you start to read, you're like, oh, what is that white man going over there? Why are they smiling? Why is the healthcare, why are they living longer? Oh, I, oh, I can be a doctor? Oh, shit. I could be a lawyer? I could be a president? All right. All right. That's too much. So why, so now we're looking like, okay, Mr. Mr. White Supremacist is saying, I can't, I can't have that. I can't have that. And so anyone who tries to do anything different must be taken up out of here. Or the repercussions to that change have to be so severe that you'll never fucking do that again. Well, thank you for answering or responding to those questions. 100%. For me. We have to wrap up and we want to say thank you to to Guante for joining us. And I also want to name, like, you've been using this phrase, like, you know, the fog of happiness. And there's a part of me that I don't, like, feel that in my body as part of my experience, but I'm curious about it. And so I'm going to sit sit with it and explore that perspective because I, I really value your perspective and kind of explore how that, how that might come through. Appreciate you. And I want to say thank you. To all of our amazing sponsors, we are currently listener-sponsored. You can go to patreon.com backslash the Humanized podcast to join the community and get exclusive content over there. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank y'all. Appreciate y'all. Much love. You have a good day. Peace.
Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.